Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing. The Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. My name is Manuel Feit and I'm once again joined by Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, how is it going? It's going very well. Uh, I'm just out of watching Dune, the new Dune movie. So if I start rambling about spices or uh, sandworms or House of Atreides or anything like that, then I can only apologize to the listeners. Uh, my mind is elsewhere. Just don't give away the ending. I mean, I've seen it already, <laughs> but maybe some of our listeners haven't. Uh, I, I mean, I realized that apparently I watched it super early, getting to see it in September in, in Munich, which was like a very early release for Germany. So uh, I, I've been doing my best not giving things away, including to my wife, who still needs to watch the movie. So yeah, we'll, we'll try to keep sandworms out of this um, as much as possible. But, you know... Um, Speaking of comebacks of old classics, and we have to talk about Wolfsburg hiring their new manager. And we, we recorded the show last week. And just as we did record, um, Van Bommel did get fired. I, I think, you know, going back a little bit to that story, it's not really surprising when you look at Wolfsburg's results, the way it played out. Um, I wrote in my article for Forbes, you know, Van Bommel averaged 1.15 points per game for Wolfsburg, uh, didn't win a game in eight games after winning the first four in the Bundesliga. Then you add the fact that he had a historic defeat to an Austrian Bundesliga team, the first one by a German team uh, in the Champions League to an Austrian team, right? And then the fact that they also <laughs> bowed out of the DFB Pokal in the most controversial fashion possible. I think, by and large, it was a consequential decision. And I remember saying at the time, You know, Jörg Schmatke was one of the most ruthless, but also best sporting directors in the Bundesliga, or what we call them in German managers, right? Uh, we're both saying that he had, he probably had someone in mind already. And it didn't take long, and they announced Florian Kofeld, the former Werder Bremen head coach, as the new head coach at Wolfsburg. And reports suggested that they already were talking to Kofeld the day after the uh, Salzburg game, right? So it's not really surprising that it went that quick. But looking at that hire, um, that was one of the names we didn't speculate with. Granted, we didn't know very much because it came so out of the blue, right, in so many ways. But, Tim, what do you make of that hire? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Um, I guess the, the thing for me that kind of stood out was obviously, you know, even though he had a decent run at Werder Bremen, he still is by and large, a very inexperienced head coach. He's only 39. Uh, you know, he's only played, you know, a number of seasons in the Bundesliga. And I think a lot of people would probably still say the jury's still out on whether he is a bona fide, good Bundesliga head coach. I know there's a lot of people that think he's a very good coach. Uh, there are some people who aren't as convinced. I'm kind of, I, I don't really have a foot in either camp. I'm just, I'm just waiting to see what he can do at a bigger, a bigger club. You know, we said um, on the podcast last week, I think I kind of stood out to me was that 
this Wolfsburg team are, or this Wolfsburg side have so much talent in it. Uh, it's a top four side. It should be a top four side. And it's just interesting that they've gone for a more inexperienced coach. And maybe maybe not inexperienced in the sense he knows his way around the Bundesliga, but certainly, certainly inexperienced in coaching a team of the size, coaching a club with certain expectations. But then I guess on the other side, because Wolfsburg don't have top-tier ambitions or top-tier expectations, i.e. they're not expected to challenge for the league title, they're not really expected to pick up German Cups, um, at, at least in, since uh, Kevin De Bruyne left. So, you know, in a way, they're actually the perfect club to ex- to experiment and take chances on young managers because, you know, if he ends up finishing 11th or 12th this season, then, you know, Wolfsburg won't be too happy, but it's also not really the end of the world. Maybe they might have a few star players who start grumbling and want to move on, but they're not a club that have to really worry about getting relegated, but they're also not a club that really have to get into the top four to kind of keep things ticking along. Um, although I guess it depends on how much Volkswagen are willing to underwrite the losses season to season. So I think in a way it's an it's a risky move, but then I guess Wolfsburg are in a unique situation where they can take risks. I think that's probably where I fall down on this. And it'd be interesting to see how Cofield does with this team, what he can do with them. Uh, because I do think he's probably more tactically... Um, he he's 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 happy to kind of bend his rules. He's happy to kind of be more pragmatic with his tactics than maybe Van Bommel was, who to me seemed like uh, a coach who struggled to have like a plan B more often. Now I think that kind of showed very quickly at Wolfsburg. So yeah, I've been, I'm really intrigued to see how it ha- how it works out. Um, I think it is a risky appointment, but you know nothing risk, nothing gained. I suppose. Yeah, I I, w- I would fall on. Probably in that camp as well. I mean, I I was a huge critic of Kofeld during his time at Werder Bremen. Um, I thought that they probably went separate ways a season too late. You know, when they did finally sack him in May with just one game to go and then brought back Thomas Schaaf in, in an attempt to rescue Bremen from relegation. I, I remember thinking at the time that that was probably a year too late. They should have probably, probably gone separate ways the year before because I remember spending some time with Bremen and at Werder Bremen because, you know, Transfermarkt office is very close. Uh, it's in Hamburg, right? And it is mm. less than an hour's dr- like, train journey to Bremen. And a lot of people that I work with are either Hamburg or Bremen fans. So it's it's a club that, you know, I follow closely because of that. And I always thought that Kofeld, I thought when he first came in, he obviously kind of restored that club and like some of the, the playing philosophy that Bremen always stood for. This was a club that always played very attractive football, right? Growing up mm-hmm. in the 90s and the, the early 2000s. And of course, on the Thomas Schaaf, when they brought in the Raute, the Diamond and... Um, won quite a few titles as well, won the German Championship, won the Cup, always went pretty deep in the Champions League as well. And there was a sense that he maybe could restore some of this. But I felt that after the opponents figured out Kofeld's plan A, he really struggled to come up with a plan B tactically. And that's always where I thought, like, well, where is he going to, where is he going to be able to adjust tactically to some of these challenges that we're facing. It seemed like every day that he was in a job, his opponents had an easier time to figure out what he was going to do. 
And that is, I think, some that is for me the very big question mark when it comes to this appointment for Wolfsburg, because we know he's going to come in. They won their first game against Leverkusen, you know, Leverkusen side that has struggled ever since they got smashed by Bayern. Um, he's come in with his 3-4-2-1 formation, um, which is something that he also liked to play at Bremen towards the end. It was his preferred formation for a long time. And then, of course, um, it's also actually a formation that worked quite well under Glasner at Wolfsburg. But here's the big question for me, Stefan, and this is probably where, where Wolfsburg's gamble lies. Is It's a gamble, right? Because... Has he learned from his mistakes at Bremen? And he's, as you said, he's only 39, right? Maybe he did, but and he's from that area of the world. It's he, he probably understands the size of a club like Wolfsburg. And but for me, I think the big one will be how long will it take opponents to figure out his tactics and can he adjust? That's a big one for me. Yeah, exactly. And this is kind of what I was saying about whether you know why it's a risk. The risk is that he's never really had to work with certain players, you know. League, league leading players, if you want to put it, they have some of the best strikers in the league, they have some of the best defenders in the league, they have some of the best midfielders in the league and wide players. So he's going to have to evolve his management of the game so that he can get the best out of those players rather than put together a Bremen team that has to maybe try and um, work better as a team to make sure they can overcome teams that are better than him every week. He's going to have to put together a Wolfsburg team that know how to beat lesser sides who will be defences defensive against them. But I think if I was a Wolfsburg fan, I'd be kind of excited by the fact that they've gone for you know someone young and excited like this rather than maybe a tired old hand. And if you look at the Bundesliga table, the teams that Wolfsburg would probably be challenging for those kind of fifth, sixth, seventh place positions, maybe even fourth, most of them are also in a kind of tricky transition period. You know, Frankfurt near the bottom of the table, uh, Hertha Berlin are near them, Gladbach, okay, they've you know, they're beating Bochum right now and they've just got a good result against Bayern, but they're certainly not out of the woods yet in terms of their form. RB Leipzig, we talk every week about whether Marsh is going to lose his job. Uh, you know, and sure, there's, if you if you actually look at the table right now, it's Freiburg, Leverkusen, Mainz and Union Berlin. And I'm not entirely sure those four teams are going to go the distance either this season. So there's a lot up for grabs this season in the Bundesliga. So... Um, you know, Wolfsburg have plenty to play for. They've got one of the best squads in the league. Uh, and they're still only, what, one point off fourth place after a pretty poor start that led to their head coach getting sacked. So, um, you know, they, they, they could certainly be in a worse position. And I think Cofield comes in and, you know, he's got a lot to work with there. Yeah, I, I mean, the assessment of the league, is it's an interesting one right now because you're right, Wolfsburg on 16, uh, Leverkusen on fourth. With 17, I guess uh, Wolfsburg kind of dragged them down to their level. And then Mainz and Union Berlin are kind of sandwiched between those two clubs. Leipzig are on 15. I mean, they're even still in a, within a shout of a Champions League spot. The, mm-hmm. we, are now, we are now on that magic match day 10, right? Where mm-hmm. we can look at the table and say like, okay, well, it's, it's crystallizing out what the standings could look like. And I think, I personally think that fourth and potentially third are completely up to grabs this year Mm. Uh, because Freiburg will have to you know they've done well 10 like 22 points out of 10 games I mean technically speaking they're just one win from first place Um, but 
how long is that form going to last, right? I mean, they would be the first to admit that their goal is that magic 40 points first. You know, no team ever got relegated with 40 points and then see what, what the rest of the season can hold. And oftentimes you see teams, they reach the 40 points and then they kind of fall off a little bit. Like, uh-huh. And so I, I don't think they're gonna gonna be lasting in that top four as much as I would love them to, but I don't see it. So there's two places up to grabs, and I think Wolfsburg are definitely within a within a shout of that. Uh, I think what really does crystallize itself all this right now is well, I think the top two, Stefan, and we have to talk about the team that is still only one point behind Bayern Munich, despite all the stuff that's been going on, despite Haaland being out injured um, possibly until the new year, uh, despite that very poor performance against Ajax, they did get through in the DFB Pokal, which wasn't also the most convincing performance either, right? Um, But they're still only one point behind Bayern Munich, and you have the sense, we're going to talk in great lengths about Maya Munich later in this podcast. So I'm saying you have the sense that right now for them, it really is, for Borussia Dortmund, is really just about hanging on to that one-point gap because the game on the weekend, it was not pretty. I know that you that was the game that you focused on. So walk us through that. Yeah. Oh, God. This this was a remarkable match in so many different ways. I, th- I thought I honestly thought Dortmund were terrible in this game. Absolutely dreadful. Um, and it wasn't even because Erling Haaland was out uh, injured because there have been games where Haaland has been up front and, okay, maybe he's been, you know, half fit or not fully fit and he hasn't really looked like his old self up front. But without Haaland in this team, I just feel like, just in general, the team... It, they were so passive, and I think this. And it just kind of struck me that they they were playing. It's almost as if they didn't have respect for clone, in the sense that they were kind of passing around the ball. They were there was no intensity to them. It felt like a preseason friendly, and it just it was just waiting for clone to kind of just grab the game by the scruff of the neck and cause an upset. And they almost did when uh, Ut scored a goal, which was pulled back because he hadn't balled it. You know, Anthony Modesta was did what he does best in kind of bullying Dortmund's central defenders. And it did feel like a game in which Claude would score a quick early goal and then Dortmund would pull it back, maybe end up grabbing a draw, but that's useless because they then lose two points in the title race. But then it just kind of seemed to work. The first goal was the most bizarre. After about maybe, um, God, when was the first goal? It was 40th minute. After 40 minutes of Dortmund doing very little in the final third, um, Cobell just thumped the ball up the park and of all people uh, Julian Brandt headed the ball down like some seasoned target man um, he headed the ball down to Jude Bellingham who then stuck in a wonderful kind of chipped cross uh, for Torgan Hazard to head in so you know just to kind of dis- if that doesn't kind of illustrate how irregular this match was the first goal came about from a header from a goal kick from Julian Brandt and then you know, Torgan Hazard heading the ball into the back of the net. Um, and then the second goal uh, from Tiggers, who's, of course, he's, he's more of a kind of traditional target man. He scores from the corner, uh, a kind of front post glancing header. And if I'm not mistaken, I mean, I guess you can technically count uh, a headed goal as a shot on target. But if you want to be a little more specific and use literal shots, I don't think Dortmund had had an actual shot on target up until that second goal. So I think that kind of sums up how things were just kind of falling apart for them. And but they did get the two goals, and they uh, and they won the game. They got the three points. And you know what? Maybe there's something to be 
if you're a Dortmund fan, maybe there's a kind of weird kind of thing to be optimistic about there where this isn't the first time this season where they've been absolutely dreadful, but they've just managed to somehow win the game. Um, and I'm, I I find that very undortman like because in my experience, I've watched so many Dortmund teams who can pass through teams who, you know, who can, who can, who can score goals for fun, but they always end up shooting themselves in the neck or shooting themselves in the back uh, at just at the worst moments. And this is almost the opposite of that. They really struggle throughout the match, but then they somehow manage to win the game. Uh, and I think that's maybe a, it's possibly a good omen for a title race this season. Um, I'd much rather see Dortmund do that every week rather than outplay teams and drop points like they have done in previous seasons under other managers. So uh, in a way, Dortmund fans can be happy, but um, yeah, I just thought the performance in the whole was dreadful. 8-21 to 21 shots, Stefan, in favour for Köln. Uh, that's that's quite a start. I mean, that takes some doing to be a top side like Borussia Dortmund and being outshot like that, but then, then still end up winning the game. I think where where I'm worried is that they they seem to grind out results against teams like Köln and get those points that points that in the past they would have dropped. Mm. And I, I mean that does speak for the character in the team. And you know, you have someone like Jude Bellingham who is is in brilliant form and uh, has in many ways replaced the assist and goal output that that Jaden Sancho has left behind, right? Uh, mm. So I mean, a, a totally different player, totally different position, but yet you know they've been they've been excellent finding those those points, uh, the score points on the field, regardless. And doing it all without Erling Haaland. And I, I think maybe being without Erling Haaland for a while might do them some good if they still get the results because it can get them adjusted to life without Erling Haaland, which will be eventually happening anyways. But it also gives you some tactical flexibility, right? You did the match. The one game that I always go back to was the one against Ajax where they lost 5-0, um, or sorry, 4-0, and were completely played off the park by, by, by um, you know, by a team that basically tactically figured them out. So I, I think maybe this forces Rose and the entire team to to learn to be tactically more flexible and also make make it harder for opponents to mm-hmm. to adjust to the stop one side. And yeah, I I think it's it's a learning process. And for that, for me right now, the most important part is they have to they have to keep that gap to Bayern Munich as close as possible because once Holland does come back right in the spring and it is still only one point then everything can happen in the second half of the season right yeah and this this is this is what happens in the Bundesliga isn't it it's it's, it's it, Bayern have this innate ability to just kind of grind out results in the first half of the season and then after the winter break it's already done and dusted and Dortmund are already preparing for next season and it's all about just keeping on keeping a hold of Bayern until Christmas, and then that's when that's when the belief begins to kind of seep into the Dortmund players because they're still there. Um, add to the fact that they could be pushing for a, a German Cup trophy when Bayern are already out of it. It galvanizes them, doesn't it? And there's there's certainly a lot of work to be done here. I mean, I think the other interesting thing is, is I think this is the first Bundesliga clean sheet of the season for Dortmund. Um, you know, they've conceded 15 goals in the first 10 games of the season, which is just dreadful. Um, I mean, Bayern aren't much better. They've they've considered ten out of ten themselves. So it's not as if they're doing remarkably well on the, on the defensive front. And Dortmund aren't. Both teams look like they have holes in their in the back line. But Dortmund in particular just look they they, they look they look they're really struggling. And 
And, you know, I, I don't know where his team would be if Cobell hadn't joined the club, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. Um, you know, if it if we were still kind of looking at a team um, that had other goalkeepers and from the from the past, you know, and there's been a kind of long history of kind of substandard goalkeeping uh, at Dortmund, does seem to me like almost Cobell has kind of come in and he's, I mean, he made two huge saves off the top of my head against Clone. Um, Modesta had a volley in the box uh, in the second half, I believe it was. And then I can't remember who it was, which Clone player, but he basically took a shot from the halfway line. Cobell had to do some really great acrobatics to kind of make sure he didn't score. And that seems to be happening in every game I watch Dortmund. So uh, God knows what would happen if he picked up an injury, but the players in front of him, Makanji, Hummels, Pogragic, these guys just, something just isn't clicking. I, I would maybe suggest it's got something to do with the fullbacks. Um, without Guerrero on the left, you know, I mean, you know, Munier, we all know what he's good at. He can go forward, he can create chances, but he leaves huge gaps in defence. Uh, and I also think, despite Jude Bellin, I mean, very good going forward, I think they still lack a really proper defensive midfielder. I'm still not convinced by Axel Witzel uh, as a top-class kind of holder or defensive midfielder. Uh, so I think those are the really key areas. If Dortmund can just hold on to Bayern until Christmas and then they can maybe try and shore up those positions, then, uh, you know, I still think we'll have a title race on, our cards, on the cards. But um, those are the things that I'd be worried about. It's not even really Erling Haaland that worries me. It's that defensive line. Uh, that really bothers me more, to be honest. Yeah, hundred percent. I think the big one for me is that, and this is this has been something I feel like I've discussed for years that Dortmund needed a good goalkeeper, someone who can win them games. And I guess that was probably the one thing that did it address the best over the summer and brought in a goalkeeper who can literally save them games and add, you know, what Neuer does for Bayern, right? Um, add mm-hmm. a few points every season, and I think. Kobel is doing that right now and so you know I, I remember having that discussion with the guys from Goal Impact and they were saying the goalkeeper position is where you can spend the least amount of money and get the most amount of points out of it it's the mm-hmm. best investment that you can make as a club and this is where Dortmund need to invest the most and or invest the right way and they did I mean they signed uh, signed a fantastic goalkeeper in Kobel and he's been he's been securing them points and I think that's that could make a difference. But um, you already mentioned the Pokal. Dortmund are still in the Pokal. Um, as is my club, 1860 Munich, holding up the, the flag for Munich because in uh, absolutely shocking, shocking fashion. And I think it's provided German football with a lot of hope, this result, in that you can beat them. And you can not only just beat them, if you play them right, you can destroy them. Um, Borussia Mönchengladbach, five. Bayern Munich, nil. Biggest defeat by for, for Bayern Munich in 43 years. Um, you know, it's 1978. They lost 7-1 to Fortuna Düsseldorf in the league. Um, I think this is a result. I don't think anyone saw it coming. If you say you saw it coming, I think people maybe expect that, okay, maybe Gladbach can do... Maybe Gladbach can knock out Bayern because Gladbach is sort of Bayern's bogey team. But mm-hmm. 5-0, I don't think anyone saw it coming. But it was the way it was done and the way that they, Gladbach's attackers in particular challenged um, challenged Bayern's defensive line, Uber Meccano struggling throughout the entire game. Uh, I think that in some ways provided a blueprint, didn't it, Stefan, in, in terms of this is how you play against Bayern Munich. If you want to beat them, this is how you do it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think Gladbach put together a fantastic blueprint in how if you really can get your press perfect and you can put Bayern under a huge amount of pressure within their own half, uh, then you can really cause a huge amount of problems. Uh, you know, and it's not even just um, in terms of the defenders. I mean, I'm pretty sure one of the goals came about from Kingsley Coman losing the ball in the middle of the pitch. It, it just comes from putting a huge, intense amount of pressure on them. And Gladbach did that tremendously. Um, I think they did that to kind of keep Bayern at bay, but it also put a huge amount of players under pressure. As you kind of alluded to there, uh, I thought Upamecano had another dreadful performance. We're kind of seeing this kind of a trend beginning to develop here with him at Bayern already when he struggles against really, not even physical strikers, but quick strikers. Strikers are happy to take him on. Uh, we saw it with Turam in the earlier Gladbach game in the start of the season. Uh, we saw it with Kostic in a defeat to Frankfurt ahead of the international break. And then we also saw it against Mbolo, uh in this, in this 5-0 defeat. And I do wonder if Gladbach and I wonder if other managers are beginning to look at his Bayern team and say, we just need to stick the big guy on Upamecano. We need to get the, get him the ball. We have to get him running at him. Uh, and that's how we can get at him. And it's not a surprise, I think, that he was dropped for the match against uh, at the weekend against William Berlin. So, um, you know, it, 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 it shows how you can beat Bayern. Um, it's a shame that it was... I mean, I guess it's a shame it wasn't a shame it was in the Pokal. It would have made things more interesting if it was in the Bundesliga, perhaps. But um, it, it definitely... It de- I think tactically... I mean, I do also wonder if a lot of this comes down to the fact that Nagelsmann was obviously... He's, he's been having to isolate through COVID. Um, even, the, even the win over Union Berlin at the weekend did not look perfectly well-structured. It didn't look like a... A good, perf- it seems silly to say that because they won what, 5-2, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, technically they won comfortably, but it looked like a very kind of, I mean, you maybe would say better. It didn't, it didn't strike yeah. me as a very tactic, tactically um, astute performance from Bayern. Um, and I do wonder, even though, you know, head coaches nowadays say they have very little, in- very little influence when the, the game actually starts, but it did feel as though because Nagelsmann wasn't on the sidelines there screaming like he does, um, Bayern just kind of looked quite shaky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would go along with that. I thought actually that Union looked at that game, the Gladbach game, and said, okay, we're going to stick Adoyini up there and uh, Becker, and we're just going to go at their defensive line. And Ubermecano didn't start the game. Uh, he actually provided probably one of the biggest highlights of the game. When when he did come on, you know, winning the ball in his own half, storming forward, dribbling through all of Union's defense, and then passing it on to Müller, and Müller curling it home to make it five-two, and that looks like a decisive result. But that five-two was in was literally that ended the game, right? Because even when it was four-two, Union still looked like they were very much in that game. It's because they just kept going toe-on-toe against them, and maybe you know, Union they're not the flashiest, most talented team in this league, so. Uh, I thought it was interesting that they, they tried the Gladbach approach anyways because it could have worked, right? I mean, uh, you play a bit better defensively and you win that game. And I think they I think they looked at that Gladbach game and said, yeah, well, we're going to stick the two big guys up front because it wasn't just Aubameyang who struggled in, in the Gladbach game. It was Hernandez as well uh, who <laughs> just avoided going to jail, right? And I think that probably played a big role in, in that match as well. But I thought it was really interesting that that seems to be the thing now. You, you put two 
big physical guys up front who are very fast and can can sort of turn around this Bayern defense and the Bayern defenders and match them with speed. And you put them in a lot of trouble. So mm. I, I think Union, the 5-2 looked more comfortable than it was from watching it right. back. They, Bayern Munich kind of scored themselves out of trouble, if that makes sense. Right, but I think another opponent they will be looking at this, and I think a lot. I mean, if if Bundesliga coaches around the league, they you know a lot of them are very qualified. They will look at this and say, "Can can we mirror this? Do we have the players to do this?" And I think they will just put the players on the field. And, you know, this goes back a few years. So, you know, I was at the game when uh, Adi Hütter was in charge, and they beat uh, his then Eintracht Frankfurt side beat Bayern Munich five one. Um, I remember Friedhelm Funkel putting Luke Bakio up front uh, as a striker to sort of counter that high press. You know, this isn't new. If you have yeah. the right players, you you can play them that way. And I think it really comes down to having having the guts to do it and then sticking with it. And after you going up two or three two goals, to not stop because that's what Gladbach did. They did not stop. It was relentless at times, right? And then people are saying, okay, well, this was a bad defeat, but. I actually think the five nil was that you know the five nil Gladbach result flattered Bayern. It could have been way worse. Yeah, it could yeah. have been six, seven, eight, and um, I think I think we're not quite. It'd be interesting to see how this develops over the next few weeks and how other opponents look at this result and see. If they can do this, and if this this could change maybe the Bundesliga title race in some ways. Um, another thing that I actually find really interesting, Stefan, and here's I want to hear your opinion about this because I've loaded this on Twitter and I've I've gotten some positive feedback. I've gotten a lot of negative feedback, um, including one guy saying to me that the Bundesliga is already a laughing stock. Let's don't turn it into MLS. Uh, I I thought it was a little disrespectful, but sure, if you think so. Um, but playoffs you know, to decide the title. And there's many different playoff formats out there. I know in Scotland and in Austria, they uh, they split the league table into two and then they have a championship and a relegation round. Um, and in the process, you half the, the points that you had in the regular season, right? Um, I'd be open to that. But I also kind of think playoffs are great because I looked at the DFB Pokal winners and yes, Bayern Munich won 10 out of the last 20, but not in a row. And mm. there's sometimes there's two years where they didn't win it. And I think that would be exactly the kind of, you know, that'd be the kind of excitement that you that you need in in, in the Bundesliga. And you know, pe- football fans are very traditional. You and I know this. But before we went on the show, you brought up Formula One and how Formula One turned around the product as an entertainment product by essentially changing the rules. So why would football be any different than, let's say, Formula One, Stefan? Yeah, it's interesting because there's. I think there are only so many levers that the Bundesliga can pull to try and you know make the league more interesting to neutral fans without, um, you know, upsetting what is a very kind of traditional German football culture, which fans, you know, understandably, uh, are, are, are you know very passionate about. And I think I do think German football's number one asset is the fans. So. You don't really want to upset that, but I think, I think when it comes to competition structures and you know how games play out and how teams end up playing each other over the course of the season, I don't actually think that's as sacrosanct. I don't think it's as, as something that's as you know holy or whatever you want to call it as 
you know, other aspects of German football. For example, 50 plus one. There are certain things I think in German football you just don't touch. That's fine. But I don't think really like how many times you play the same club every season or, you know, um, how the league structure or how many teams in the league, etc. I don't think that's something that's really, you know, chiseled in stone because, to be honest, German football compared to a lot of other nations hasn't had... Uh, professional football for as long you know we're talking about the Bundesliga it's only been around for about 50 or 60 years technically um, compared to you know Italy England Spain etc etc so it's not as if we're talking about something that's centuries old here and something that um, has never changed it has changed over the years and I think you know it's interesting when you look at I mean I'm not a huge Formula 1 fan and I'm one of those fans who kind of got on board when I started watching it on Netflix but what intrigues me is that they've obviously went to huge lengths to kind of change the rules, to change the formatting, to make things more interesting. And I think there probably are certain things that Bundesliga could do to try and take an edge off of Bayern's dominance. Uh, you know, whether it's about tweaking the the, the the TV deal, whether it is about completely changing how the structure of the league itself. I mean, I'm, I think, so in Scotland, we call it the split. And what that basically means is um, after two rounds I think of the Bundesliga so we play each team home and away um, the league then splits up and I don't even know if it is two rounds actually it's more than that because there's fewer teams in the division but basically uh, around about two thirds of the way into the season they go into a split where top six sides play each other and then the bottom six sides play each other and you basically have a championship round and a relegation round and it is more or less one of the best things about the league to be perfectly honest with you the only issue within Scotland is because we have so few clubs, it means certain clubs play each other maybe four or five times in a single league season. Uh, and that's not very interesting, to be perfectly honest with you. Fans get bored of playing the same teams over and over again. But that's a unique Scottish problem because we don't have as many clubs. Uh, I think you could do something in a full league like the Bundesliga and it wouldn't lead to the kind of repetition issues that you would get in Scotland or maybe in Austria. Um, and it would mean that a club like Bayern to win the league title would have to play the top six or seven teams, which I think would be really interesting. I think it would add an element that is quite like the Pokal, where one-off games against a Gladbach or against a Leverkusen or against a Dortmund, perhaps, um, really can go on to be quite important, you know, and... Um, yeah, I think, I mean, it's not a foolproof plan. I'm not sure if it would make a huge difference, but it's little things like that that would shake things up, make it more interesting and possibly, um, you know, take some of the shine off of Bayern's dominance. Now, Bayern fans might say, hey, look, what the hell are you talking about? It's not up to the, <laughs> Bundes it's not up to the Bundesliga to try and bend the rules to stop us winning league titles, but actually it sort of is. is yeah yeah it is because at the end of the day it's the bundesliga has to be competitive in terms of a marketing point of view and in terms of a um in terms of an entertainment point of view and i don't think changing the rules to make it harder for one team to win the league takes away any of the important cultural parts of german football i don't think it makes any difference to those things so um i don't know i think i think there's a lot that um the bundesliga could learn from formula one uh, i thought Actually, I don't actually follow him, but Jacob Feldman um, who mm. did a really good tweet thread um, on this on his Twitter account. It's just Jacob Feldman four, and he did a whole thread on what the and just basically on how form what Formula One did to change things because uh, it was in huge trouble five years ago. Um, TV audiences TV audiences had shrunk by a half, uh, shrunk to a half of what it had been before, like ten years before that. 
so they also had to do something really drastic. Now I'm not saying the Bundesliga has to has to worry about being that drastic. I don't think German football is really at risk of losing interest. But if you want to kind of do things to gain more interest and maybe, like I said, to kind of make some slight structural changes to kind of stop one single team from dominating, mm-hmm. I think you could do a lot to make it more interesting. Yeah, I, I'm 100% on board with you on that because in real life, when a, com- when a company becomes too big, uh, compet- like competition rules come in and they split that company up, right? It happens all the time. Um, I'm not saying anything as drastic as splitting up Bayern Munich, you know, turn them into two clubs or something like that <laughs> to make, make the league more interesting. But it is, as a governing body of the Bundesliga, it is up to the Bundesliga to decide how the league is being more competitive. And if Bayern's dominance is hurting the league as a product, mm. it is it is, you know, because they every every member of the DFL, the governing body of the Bundesliga, is a shareholder. And there's currently there's thirty-six shareholders in because it's the first and the second division, isn't it? That and every one of those shareholders has an equal right. And if one of the shareholders is hurting the other thirty-five shareholders, by being dominant and hurting the product that they're trying to sell abroad, then the, the it is in the best interest of the majority of the shareholders to change the way it operates to ensure that there is a better competition and that that product is better so that everyone can make more money. Mm-hmm. And I think we're getting to that point now, right? And it's not Bayern's fault that they're good. And I'm not saying they should get any worse, but there should, there should be an avenue, avenue towards other teams being able to catch up which would then increase the competition of the league overall and enhance the product and also make German football better overall. This is really what it comes down to. It's like you, if you increase the product, it will actually in the long term also benefit Bayern. Like it's in Bayern's interest that this league is interesting, right? Mm. Because they can sell more shirts abroad and it's more interesting to watch. And I think this, we're getting to the point now where something does have to change and whether it is splitting the league or they go straight to playoffs, top eight qualify for the playoffs, uh, you know, and the, the it's single knockout competition. And I think that would actually bring quite a lot of change in too, because you see it with the Pokal. Bayern will probably still win 50% of the titles, but 50% of the titles is a lot less than 100%, right? Mm. And that makes the league a lot more interesting. And all of a sudden you have, you're like Hoffenheim, you finish eighth, you have like three good games and you win, you win the German championship. And people say like, oh, how is that going to change things? It changes things dramatically because the winner of the league gets a lot more money than the team that finishes eighth. Right, and like and another mechanism that I would bring in is that the team that uh, that the newly promoted team to the Bundesliga should just get as much television money as the winner, right? Because then you're spreading the valve around a little bit more. And there's lots of things that you can do. And I mean, uh, I, I'd be curious to hear some of the people responding to me. You know, when we put this on Twitter, and mm. maybe you can respond to it and give us our thoughts. But uh, a league isn't sacrosanct. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the comments I got is like, it's supposed to be a league. It's like, yeah, but it's also the National Hockey League or Major League Soccer or National Football League. A league doesn't mean it's like a table of 18 teams in the end, the team with the most points win. There's lots of leagues around the world where they are, have leagues in their actual name and they still have playoffs. You know, yeah. a league can be all, or the Champions League, you know, a league can be all sort of things. So. Yeah, uh, I, I think there's lots of things you can do to make it more competitive without hurting the biggest team in the league and actually helping the league overall. And I, I think it'd be an interesting, like, you know, a conversation starter. So if you if you listen to this podcast and you have some ideas, some thoughts, and some criticism, 
why don't you just respond to the tweet that we put out and uh, we can have a little bit of a discussion on it because I'd be curious to hear what other people have to think. But I think we both agree, Stefan, that I, my final point maybe is that we are at a point now where, where we can change two things. We could get rid of 50 plus one or we could change the structure of the league. Mm-hmm. And I know where German fans, what German fans would rather change. Yeah. You know? And I think, and I, th- I think that's the kind of thing that, like we've said, like these kind of structural changes to the competition itself are things that the league can play around with without impacting on the fan culture mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, the, the terraces and what happens there and the stuff that really does a great job of promoting German football around the league. It doesn't really, it doesn't really jeopardize any of that. Yeah. You can preserve the fan culture without... You know, I think that's a better way, and I think it's probably a better sale to to the fans. So, yeah, but give us our feed, give you give feedback, please. And uh, I think we'll be back next week, Stefan. Um, once again, great to great to hear your voice, and looking forward to another exciting week of football. Absolutely, I can't wait. All right, guys. Until next week, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 